There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 981, February 27th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say sunrise, sunset, swiftly flow the Red Bull pace, giving the competition pain. Welcome to the preseason testing in Bahrain. Now back to the shaky of podcasting. Thank you, sir. The biggest news from testing is Aston Martin. The saddest news from testing is McLaren. The important news from testing is AlphaTauri is for sale. LCH apparently not too excited, but Fernando super excited. And the one team that's sandbagging, I might as well just say it right now, was Ferrari. And this week's special interview, we dive deep into the cobwebs of the F1 Weekly Archives, and we go back to 2010, Barcelona, and it's Mr. Ralph Schumacher. So that's going to be fun, 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 fun. And I just want to remind everybody, we need your contributions to keep this program on the air. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab right there on the left side of the website, and you know deep down you'll want to. Nas, welcome to the studio. How are you holding in all that excitement from testing Mamma Mia? Well, sir, I am totally elated. The long wait is over. We have Grand Prix motor racing this weekend, all the way from Sands of Arabia to St. Petersburg, FLA. So I am totally, totally happy. Three days of preseason testing, lots of chit-chat, interviews, opinions. So this is all exciting. And you know what they say, the Kaka will stop when the green flag falls. So we already know which way it is flowing. So let's, uh, did you enjoy the festivities, sir, before we go into the nitty-gritty details of day one, two, and three? Absolutely enjoyed it immensely. It was amazing to see the games, teams play. And uh, yes, I loved it and thoroughly enjoyed it. I felt terrible for McLaren. Norris punching the walls in frustration. Which means, you know, he already knows. He's already flashed to November of 2023. He knows it's going to be a struggle. McLaren, once again, not on top of it. But rumors, there are a lot of weird rumors out there, and we'll talk about those later on. But no, it was very, very fun. Of course, it was full domination. It was, tw- it was 2022 
dash new 23. It was really the, the carryover, and even Lewis had to admit it feels a little W13 ish. You know, there's a few underlying ghosts lurking. So very interesting. But Max, that guy's the, he's got he's got PK on his side. So he's the happiest man in America and in the world. Yes, sir. On day one, like you said, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Max Verstappen was the fastest driver on day one, going a second faster than fastest time from day one of last year's preseason testing, which was surprisingly set by Pierre Gasly. Max was the only driver who drove all day. Checo was on the sidelines. I think bells are already ringing in Milton Keynes for a triple crown coming to town. And here is Max talking to Lawrence Barreto of F1 TV. Uh, basically a smooth day, no issues, and we could really focus on the car, try a few things to understand also the new tyres for, for this year. And uh, yeah, we got loads of, uh, of running during the day when it was really hot, or kind of hot, um, and then uh, in the evening as well, so um, pretty okay day. It was an interesting day for Aston Martin. One of their cars was the first to break down with Felipe Drugovic at the wheel. When the day was over, the second car had gone second fastest with the Spanish James Bond, who has now a view to kill in 2023. And I think he's shooting straight for the cockpit of car number 44. Settle some old scores. What say you? Oh, I hope so. I want movie action. That would be awesome. He's got the Bond car, the Aston Martin, chasing Lewis. Yeah, let's hope for that. No, it was exciting. Of course, we were all expecting miracles from Fernando and Machismo del Mundo. And, of course, he provided some. The car is phenomenal. They're talking maybe... Up there with Mercedes, number three spot. We'll see what happens when the flag falls. But I'm telling you, Fernando's excited. We don't know what's going on with Lance. Apparently, hmm, could have been a pretty bad hand injury. And he can't do the pedaling or the paddling. So, uh, Dragovic, Dragovic, he's the new Brazilian sensation. Hopefully. If he performs well and competes a little bit against Fernando, who's going to be completely machismo, we know Fernando starts. So just think about it. Next Sunday, Fernando, his starts, no matter where he starts from, are going to be totally mind-blowing. And now he's got this new James Bond machismo car. I'm telling you, we're we're in for a treat this season. Uh, Yeah, I can't even remember what I was going to say now, Nasser. You know, speaking of Felipe Drugovic, uh, this is a great opportunity. Right As we speak, we don't know if Lance will come back for the season opener or not. But I would like, we need new blood in motor racing. So I would like to see him uh, get a chance uh, instead of sentimental favorite Sebastian Vitel. What say you? Yeah, I already knew that Vitel was gardening, planting seeds and was not going to stop everything to do a race in Bahrain just so he could say hello to everybody. Okay, so now we move on to day two. Here is something you will never hear after a Formula One race. 
Guan Yu Zhou beat Max Verstappen, but on day two of preseason testing, that's what the Chinese Alfa Romeo driver did, riding on C5 compound, which is the softest compound, compared to Max on C3. But it makes a good headline, which I call the fall, the fall of Formula, of Formula one. One, 1. Red Bull's package and their express delivery driver looking very strong, like not much has changed since the end of the 2022 F1 season. An interesting comment was made by Anthony Davidson after day two, because on day two, um, half of the day Max drove and then half of the day Checo Perez drove. So after day two, um, Anthony Davidson said that the only time Red Bull did not look incredible was when Checo Perez was in it. So this pretty much tells you where the Angus prime cut beef is at Red Bull. As long as Max is there, the number two will always be ground beef. And your slim Jim Machismo continues to shine on day two also, setting the third fastest time. You know what? Obviously, I followed his career a couple of years before he got into Formula One. And taking into age into consideration, I have never seen this guy so slim and fit. And looks like this guy means some serious nasty business against the competition and i was thinking you know if he can win a race and get on the podium in five ten races how fantastic it will be for motor racing and i'm sure you will be over the blue moon absolutely he's the mark martin on steroids without sponsorship from viagra <laughs> but it's coming i'm telling you this guy is I mean, he's not messing around. New team, new body. I mean, he is performing at a peak that even Lewis Hamilton is probably going to go, my God. And I've been next to Fernando. I'm telling you, I mean, he's always in tip. I mean, all of them are in tip-top form. I mean, when I saw Fernando up close, I was just stunned at how the physique was really perfect. And now it's even perfecter. So he's trying to make a point. And I'm sure a book is going to come out and definitely a lot of recipes. But it's very exciting. And, and you're right. I think Aston Martin, the problem with Aston Martin, they should have sandbagged a little bit because now the, the expectations are extremely high. Well, you know, I've been cl very close to uh, Fernando Alonso a couple of times. Uh, but as they say in that Stevie Wonder song, I've been near you, but you never notice me. Which is fine. Nando is Nando El Machismo. But uh, moving on to George Russell, his car, Mercedes, broke down with hydraulic issues on day two. And Zach Brown had a frown as McLaren did not have the winning car that Fisico, <laughs> Fisico's manager was looking for when he drove as teammate to Machismo at Renault. Come back, kid. Nico Hulkenberg was in the top five riding on C4 compound in his MoneyGram horse F1. Logan Sargent day four, the first full-time Amerikanski Formula One driver in Formula One since Scott Speed, did the most lap of any driver on second day, 154, and was seventh fastest. And you know the reviews on him from different pundits are very good. It's very nice to have a positive take on a American driver but then again you know he's a competitive driver he's not 
where to run solid 15th or way long and of course a lot depend on what he's driving so i wish him all the best okay so now we move to day three final day of uh, pre-season testing checo checks out sergio perez was on driving duty all day for red bull completing 133 laps and clocking the fastest time over the three-day test 1 minute 30.305 which he set on the c4 pirelli compound behind paris was lewis hamilton and the mercedes uh, 0.35 slower his time was set on c5 compound which means the gap would have been bigger had the same tire compounds had been used so which means things have improved for mercedes so maybe instead of finishing 8th and ninth, maybe they will finish 5th and 6th. But, you know, I'm sure they will develop the car throughout the season. And hopefully they can have more wins than they had last year. And for both drivers, that will be nice. The W14 is not a bouncing ball like W13, but the package still remains a broken arrow. Mr. Rogers, you're a man of history. Uh, uh, and knowledge remember in the second world war they had bouncing bombs to destroy dams one of my favorites absolutely bouncing bombs were were great well not only that but you had um, landmines that were specifically called bouncing betties and bouncing betty when you hit it it would bounce so when it exploded it was at your waist level to make sure it just cut everything in half. Oh, that's... Mankind can be so kind, you know. That's pretty beautiful. Okay. The Mercedes W14 mini bouncing bomb can only destroy a fake dam and will definitely not make a dent in the Red Bull reservoir of performance and talent that is in one of their cars. To win or not to win remains the question. On the final afternoon of testing, Toto's Hamlet completed 65 laps. Valtteri Bottas, whose Alfa Romeo broke down towards the end of the morning session, bounced back to complete a total of 131 laps on the final day while going third fastest with a time of 1 minute 30.827. Now George Russell, he has seen the promised land which will have Max Verstappen on top step of the podium. And this is what he says, and I quote, In terms of feeling, it feels a step in the right direction. But as we know in the sport, it's not all about feeling. It is ultimately about lap time. Then he added what is only too obvious about Red Raging Bull. He said, and I quote, they look very strong. They look very stable. The car is looking really strong and obviously Max is performing really well. So I think realistically it will be a stretch for next week. End quote. Sounds like dishes are done for Mercedes before hummus and falafel are served for lunch on Sunday in Bahrain. The question is, was there sandbagging or sand in the Vaseline? I think Red Bull will bring a jar of Vaseline for the competition and it will be kept in Kelly Piquet's pantry. Mr. Rogers, is there a Pandora box in the Aston Martin armory? Well, you know, I'm, I'm predicting that Aston Martin has even more to bring and they were sort of taken back by how 
well they were performing. And of course, they knew it was El Fernando. I'm telling you, I know I've been saying this, but I can see Aston Martin on pole. Can you imagine if something happens at, I mean, obviously, I'm trying to mix it up here. I mean, it's, I don't want to see Max on pole for every race. But yeah, I think Aston Martin is really the big surprise. And they deserve it. And they've done their work. Copied a little bit of here, a little bit of that. They've done the right thing, you know, whereas Mercedes refused to copy anybody because they think it's vulgar. So, hmm. Lawrence Stroll is not short on money, and the car looks very fast. There's no question about it. It's a beautiful livery, and Machismo, regard, he, he brought six tenths to uh, Minardi and six tenths to uh, McLaren, and I, I will not be surprised. I do not expect him to leapfrog uh, Max and Charles Leclerc or their respective teammates, but I will not be surprised if they leapfrog Mercedes and finish third in the championship. And you know what's going to happen here? Daddy's little Jim Clark. He will be wondering what the hell is going on. But you know, he has a seat for life, so he doesn't need to worry too much. Okay, sir, let's take a look at um, some times from three days of preseason testing. Fastest, as we said, Red Bull uh, with a time of 130.305, set by wingman Checo on C4 tires. Overall second, Lewis, where have you gone, Lady Luck Hamilton, another 0.35 second, despite being on softest C5 compound. And this is what's really scary, and I don't think the team is doing sandbagging by running on the softest tire and still not being fastest. But we're going to find out in six days. Third was Valtteri Bottas for Alfa Romeo, also on C5, over a second slower than Checo. Man, his new hairdo and mustache make him look more like an Aussie rule, Aussie rule football player than a racing driver from ice core Finlandia. Do you like his new hairstyle, sir, and the mustache? Yes. I think he's trying to be machismo, and, and sometimes those things help. Okay. Fourth and fifth of Ferrari drivers, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz Jr. on same compound as uh, Sergio Perez, but 0.7 slower than the raging pole. 0.7 slower that they will never recover that uh, pace in, during the race. Normal course of business. In terms of laps completed, Machismo was numero uno, 270 laps driven in the Bond Mobile. The other Dutch driver, Nick de Vries, completed 246 laps, and new kid in town from Boca Raton, Florida Logan Sargent, completed the third most laps, 229. Max didn't listen to this. Max did 204 laps, and overall he was 11th, but on C3 compound. So this guy, this guy is going to be winning a lot of races. And now we come to McLaren Meltdown. James Key is the technical director at McLaren, but they have not been able to unlo unlock the true potential of the 2023 Challenger, and I hope they have some potential there. And they were suffering in the sense of Bahrain. On the other hand, William showed much improved pace from last year's preseason testing. Also on the uptake is Aston Martin, as we just discussed with Machismo leading the charge. The only way now is onward and upward and hopefully not the usual self-destruction. Because if he says anything against, uh, you know, he was complimentary 
to has been very complimentary towards uh, Lance Stroll. And he, I was watching their launch once again today. Uh, he has to be careful. He does not want to ruffle, uh, say something about Lance that, you know, he's here because of his dad. That's not going to go down well in the halls of uh, wherever uh, Mr. Stroll lives, I believe. It's in Switzerland. So in final analysis of preseason testing, Monsieur, as much as I would like to see a Ferrari driver win the World Championship, as much as I would like to see a driver win one more championship than Shumi, I have to face the music coming from Spice Boys. They say good things come in three. I say one of those is coming at the end of the season. We have to see how the first three or four races pan out, but if Max is the winning factor in most of them, then let's get ready for a new track record and more wins this year for him than last season. We are talking Sweet 16. Anything you would like to say, sir, on the uh, preseason testing? Uh, yes, uh, it's too bad we don't have more of it, but it is what it is. But it's, I love preseason testing just to see the drama on the sidelines. It's just awesome stuff, and I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. But now we're, go we're going into, now we got to talk about the team principles. The big change at Ferrari, that's really, really big. This could make Ferrari really, really competitive because they lost races because of stupidity. If they get rid of the stupidity, they're really, really title contenders. I mean, for sure, for sure. So it's going to be fun. I think Red Bull and Ferrari are going to be neck and neck, and then we'll see some strange stuff with Mercedes, Aston Martin. And nobody's talking about Renault or Alpine. Because they were supposed to make a big step forward, and I did not see the big step. I saw people taking breaks, a lot of cigarette smoking, and eating of cheese and drinking of wine. Well, speaking of uh, team principal, Vassar making waves. Ferrari have moved their Formula One head of strategy, a chap from Spain, Enaki Rueda, out of the line of fire, and they have put in an Indian-British guy by the name of Ravin Jain. Um, he will be the man on the pit wall starting in Bahrain. Now, you know, people wonder how to get into Formula One based on this, based on that, and listen to this guy's background. Uh, first of all, he has been with Ferrari for seven years. He has a three-year degree in physics. He completed his master's degree with honors in mathematical and theoretical physics from University of Oxford and previously he was an intern in Catrum and Williams and it will be interesting to see how he does and we wish him and everybody all the best. Remember Michael Schumacher, physio, used to be a Indian guy who had a business I think in Munich, Dr. Balbir Singh? Yep, he was my best friend. Yeah, so the bottom line is man, if you know what you're doing, you're going to go places. Okay, a team spokesman said Jan would be in charge of strategy at the track. Rueda remains a part of the team with factory-based sporting role at Maranello. Now, strategy is one of the key areas where, principal, uh, where Fred Wesser can make a big difference, taking into account all the uh, you know, silliness that was going on last year. 
But I am still convinced that with French-speaking Frederick Vasser, esteem principal at Ferrari, I think his French-speaking driver from Monaco will become Lola of the team. Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. So we'll see how it goes. And speaking of Formula One, here is Formula One's fanfare for the common man. This is, I like this, new rule will require every Thursday leading up to a race weekend, which is usually reserved for media and sponsorship duties, six drivers must be available for fan engagement activities, which will last a maximum of 30 minutes during a one-hour slot. Ten drivers must also be available for fan interaction up to one and a half hours before free practice one as the FIA attempts to bring fans closer to the heroes than ever before. And this is something very common in NASCAR and also pretty much in IndyCar racing, which is very good. Three, team principal will also engage in these duties. Do you remember when they used to do at the uh, U.S. Grand Prix at Indianapolis? Yeah, of course. I, I did that walk. That's where you would talk to people. And drivers, uh, I've met a lot of drivers from back in the day, of course, you know, when we had Toyota and expanding tires. Yes, and you know what was so pathetic about it, this stage where Bob Warsha was there and I think David's Ho- David Hobbs and Steve Matchett too interviewed, uh, it was sponsored by Bridgestone and because of that Michelin drivers would not come on the stage so they had to make some changes. So that that's sometime uh, corporate head honchos can get very uh, mean and selfish which is not very good okay somewhere in Switzerland Kimi is happy he got out at the right time and speaking of Kimi Mrs. Mintu Raikkonen is expecting their third child so pretty soon we'll have more little Kimis running around on Grand Prix racing circus his son is already getting serious about cutting which is very good okay sir next Looking for the next Lewis Hamilton or the next Max. Toto Gung-Ho on Kenzo. This kid, uh, Kenzo, is a British kid. Um, I think he's of black uh, background. He was born in Epsom in 2010, and he has now joined the uh, Mercedes-AMG Petronas F1 Team Junior Program, and he has been very successful in karting. And, of course, when you're doing well, nobody's going to have an issue. His breakthrough year came in 2021 as he earned a ticket to the Rotax Max Grand Finals in Bahrain. And then uh, he was in the British Karting Championship in 2021 where he finished ninth. Last year he dominated the cadet class winning the Ultimate Karting Championship Series, British Kart Masters, British Karting Championship, and finishing as the British Karting Championship Vice Champion. And so, you know, this year he will be doing the junior class. So he's a young kid and we will keep an eye on him. And of course, like everybody else, we wish him all the best. So, Mr. Rogers, shall we take a break for some Aqua Minerale? I'm going to go ahead and, and do a Stella Artois myself. So good thinking, Nasser. So we'll be back after these brief messages. Hi, I'm David Coulthard, uh, otherwise known as DC, and you're listening to F1 Weekly. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And, of course, this is, uh, this is a big interview. This is the man himself, Nasser, introduce this former Formula One driver. 
Yes, sir. Uh, Ralph Schumacher raced in Formula One for over a decade. He made his debut in the 1997 Australian Grand Prix for Jordan. He spent the next six seasons at Williams, scoring six wins. The first in 2001 at Imola and the final at Manicool in 2003. His final three seasons in F1 were with Toyota. Other racing highlights of his career are winning the Macau Grand Prix in 1995, which was also won by his brother, and Formula Nippon Championship in 1996. These days, Ralph is racing in DTM with Mercedes and is also part owner of RSC Muke Racing Team in GP3. And I would like to thank him very much for his time. And I must say again that he was very nice and polite to me, which is much appreciated. Okay, folks, I'm here in Barcelona with Ralph Schumacher. Ralph, thank you for your time so much. How are you today, sir? Well, I'm, I'm great, actually. You know, we had a nice day so far. Beautiful weather, successful qualifying, so I'm happy. Good. Okay, um, how much are you enjoying racing in DTM compared to F1? Well, it's, it's a different kind of racing, but I have to say it's really enjoyable because it's close fighting, uh, you know, a lot of body contact in the car, which is uh, nice for a change. And the racing series itself, you know, people are more relaxed and it's really nice to be there. Okay. After many years in single-seaters, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make uh, in tin tops? Well, it's just driving the weight, uh, the heavy weight car with less aero, uh, braking was a big problem and obviously uh, less power, so you had to, to, to drive more around again, um, driving style like a Formula 3 and that I had to adapt to. Okay. Uh, before deciding on DTM, was there any interest in IndyCars or some other Formula 1 team? No, not really, because uh, IndyCar, to be honest, uh, oval racing, I think, is, is not good for me. <laughs> I tried it in one corner of an oval and I crashed twice, so that's enough for my life. And, um, well, Formula 1, you know, when I, when I stopped with Toyota, I just didn't want to continue in Formula 1 because there was no real team, good team uh, available for me, so it was better to stop. Okay. Uh, talking of Indy, the track was not kind to you. As you said, you had two crashes. Uh, apart from that, what was your impression of the track and also of American racing fans? Well, I was really surprised. Uh, we were well, well received. A lot of uh, fans, uh, you know, real nice atmosphere to race there. The city is great when it's packed with all the motorsport people. I mean, there's so much going on. I've really uh, enjoyed the races there, I have to say. Do you remember when you were doing this, uh, like, uh, interview with all the fans, one fans asked you, what lap are you planning on crashing this time? Well, I can't remember, but I managed to crash at the same spot, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, very impressive win over your brother in Canada in your Williams days. Uh, what races in F1 and outside F1 are your best memories? They don't have to be necessarily wins. Well, you know, to be honest, uh, I think we we together so far, I mean, Michael, again now, we had a great time in Formula 1, and it was really a pleasure to, to run around in the world. I think there's no special memory. The, the best, I would say, was the first win, because it took a while. But apart from that, I mean, just being in Formula 1 was great. Okay, one win that was basically uh, taken away from me was the rain race in Belgium in Jordan. Uh, how upset were you when you were told uh, not to win the race? Well, I have, to say, I have to say, today I understand the decision as, as team principal, but uh, at the time I was really, um, well, upset about the decision. Didn't talk to Eddie for, I think, at least a week, Eddie Jordan, who took the decision, our team boss at the time. But uh, still, it was a very successful race for us, and the conditions were very difficult. I would have been a lot quicker, but obviously.
obviously I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> okay, uh, going back to karting days in Kirpin, did you ask for racing tips from Michael when you, you guys were young or did you learn the racecraft on your own? Well, I think, it, I mean, we are six and a half years, you know, different in age and uh, Michael and I, I mean, we I mean, he tried. He tried to teach me in the early days, but younger brothers never listen, I guess. So I, I did pretty much everything on my own. Um, obviously, trying always to do it better than the bigger one in karting days, but uh, I think that's normal between brothers. <laughs> now, uh, with his success in Formula One while you were coming through the system, was that a big help in opening doors for you? Well, to one extent, yes, it, it enabled. Uh, me to, to, to maybe you know have contacts and possibilities that you normally wouldn't have. On the other hand, the focus was on me always. Uh, expectations were very high, and uh, people just you know didn't take you know, they made mistakes. It was always a big thing, so it, it helped, but it was a big problem sometimes too. Um, when you said great expectations, did that bother you? No, not really. But it's just you know, was the, the problem was they always keep keep watching me on all every details, and as soon as I made a mistake, it was just uh, a big problem. Uh, whereas if you come from nowhere, no name, and you you simply do a good job, you know, everybody says you're perfect. Now, um, in last several years, Kimi Raikkonen doesn't say anything with the press, so he has no problem, and you would express your opinion. You had, if I may use the word, love-hate relationship with the media. Uh, when you look back, uh, what do you think of racing journalists? Well, I think uh, life could have been a lot easier for all of us, but uh, the problem is, in the spot we are, we have so much pressure, so much is going on, and at one stage, you know, especially as a Formula One driver, you start to get fed up with everything, and you just try, want to concentrate on your job. And then they try, you know, media a lot of times interferes with not only your job, with private stuff and so on. And uh, the problem is not the media in general, it's just a few journalists that just don't know where the limits are. Looking back, life could have been a lot easier. For both sides? Yes. Okay. Uh, you are now team owner in GP3. Uh, how involved are you in management of the team, driver coaching and um, selection? Well, first of all, yes, uh, drivers decided by, by the team principles only. Uh, in, in, in the young teams, or let's say in the young racing series, you look out, you know, and you, you hope you find the right one or you bet on the right horse, basically. That's one thing. Organization point of view, we have a strong team management here. <coughs> Obviously, on the race weekend, you know, all the political stuff with the organization and so on. Yes, I'm involved. And um, speaking with the drivers, having sometimes look uh, through the data when we go for strategies, what to do at what time, I think I got uh, some experience to help. Yeah. Okay. I won't have access to your brother, but let me ask you a question if you don't mind me asking and sharing. Have you spoke to him, spoken to him, or has he said to you uh, well, how he finds Formula One car now as compared to when he left? He said to me that he finds them easier to drive than they used to be. Um, his car, I mean, he had some understanding which he doesn't like. Here this weekend they changed the car and it looks a lot better for him. And he's really happy to be back. He enjoys it. Yeah, racing fans like myself, we are loving it. Yeah. Okay, um, thinking of team owners, uh, was Eddie Jordan the most colorful team owner you ever had? Yeah. I have to say, Eddie, Eddie is a good friend of mine, and still, and uh, not a lot of people. Well, Eddie is the kind of guy that, that is, yes, you're right, he's, he can shout, he's a very loud person, but he, he's a great guy uh, you know, to work with, and you can have a lot of fun with him. And I, I have to say, with the possibilities he had, he made a great job in Formula 1. Yeah, you know, I was talking to one of your ex-engineers, Jackie Eckelhardt, 
and he told me about Eddie Jordan that the F word, F bomb comes out programmed every few minutes. Was that your experience with him also? Oh yes, it was my experience. He's Irish, uh, for one thing, and uh, <coughs> for me, when when I started from the one, my English it's still not okay, but it's, it's okay, it's not perfect. But my English was quite poor. So I, I got really used to swearing within the team and I didn't know that, you know, you shouldn't do that in front of the English television. And there was that story where I got asked after race uh, from the BBC, you know, how was your race? And I said, well, we simply fucked up. And yeah, geez, it was during the day and, you know, they got, I think, like three million emails or whatever, you know, complaining in the, during the day. And I, I thought, you know, can't be that bad because Eddie is doing it any minute. So, it was, but yeah, he's a, he's a nice guy. Okay, what is your favorite track in uh, in the world? For me, it was always Japan Suzuka. You race in Japan, right? Um, how was the racing experience there and the cultural differences? Did you enjoy living there? Well, at the time, I must lie, I said, because I was quite young. I was only 18, 19. And uh, <clears throat> to go there was a big step because I went there by myself, stayed there for 14, 15 months. Luckily, I won in the first year the championship. Looking back, it was it was very important for me because there, you know, it was just a number more or less, and could calm down, concentrate on racing. And I have to say, Japan race drivers are so competitive. Or Japanese race drivers are so competitive in Japan. It's impressive, and I learned a lot over there. Now. Um you were also at one time under management by Willie Weber and then you split. Uh, would you mind sharing what was the reason for that? Well, it was simply one thing uh, um, that, that I, in a way, grew up and I, I thought, you know, I wanted to do to handle things by myself. Um, I mean, Willie concentrated a lot on, on, on Michael, then he had some new drivers and, uh, you know, we're still more or less friends, but uh, I thought it was time for me to move on. Okay. Now, among the teams you have driven for, um, Williams is one of them. And again, I'm saying as a racing fan, I read in the press, which always is not correct. Uh, I always hear that Patrick Head is a real, real strong-headed knucklehead. What's your experience? Well, to work with Patrick it was something very special in my career. But he's a very fair person. Uh, he's strong-minded, very strongly minded. He's a tough guy, but at the same time, you know, he—if he does a mistake, he comes back to you. You might shout sometimes or so, but at the same time, you can shout on him, and uh, it's all fine. I mean, I really, uh, on the on the professional point of view, I enjoyed working with him, and even private. I mean, to go out and have a nice dinner with Patrick is the best you can have. And among Formula One drivers, who are still your friends um, that you stay in contact with? little bit with David Kutz, but actually I've never really forced uh, any friendships to another Formula One driver. So only my brother then, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good company. And uh, last question is, um, how old is your son David and when can we expect DS in single-seaters? <laughs> well, David is be uh, will become nine in October. Uh, he's doing karting. It's called Bambini. It's the smallest uh, series. He just started racing. We'll see. I mean, I hope he does something proper, but in the moment, he enjoys motorsport. As long as he does, I support it. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, thank you very much. All the best. Rolf Schumacher, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. In now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the sultan himself, Nasser Hamid.
Thank you, sir. Uh, Mr. Rogers, next time we talk, we will be talking about the opening race of the season. So I thought instead of doing a motorsports mondial, we'll do a historical mondial. So here is a segment called Season Opening Surprises. 1952, Bremgarten Street Circuit in Switzerland. The season opener produced one-hit wonder Piero Taruffi from Italy driving a Ferrari. He is also very well known for writing the book The Technique of Motor Racing which has become a must-read book for aspiring young drivers. And if I remember correctly, even Nicky Lauda mentioned reading this book in one of his books. So it's a very well-known book. 1958, Argentina. Sterling Moss records first victory for Cooper Carr. More importantly, it was the first ever victory for a rear-engine car in Formula One. And things have never gone back to the front since then. 1967 South African Grand Prix at Kyalami. Winner was Pedro Rodriguez in a Maserati-powered Coupa. This victory even surprised the organizers who did not have the Mexican national anthem to play for the winner. So they played Mexican head dance when Pedro was on the podium. I say that was a better choice than La Cucaracha. Gracias. We stay in South Africa for the 1971 race at Kailami. Mario Andretti does what Arnaj, Nando and Kimi would do years later. Win for prancing horse riding for the first time. And no, he did not fly to Johannesburg from JFK on a Concorde. Three years earlier, Mario Andretti had made an equally dramatic Grand Prix debut at Watkins Glen, putting his Lotus on pole position. 1977, Argentina, Walter Wolf, the Lawrence Troll of oil business from Canada, starts his own F1 team with a car designed by Dr. Harvey Postelwey, and it gushes to victory on debut, driven by Jody Schechter from South Africa. 1989, Rio do Brasil, R. driving the semi-automatic gearbox Ferrari developed by John Barnard, shocked the monkey and the men in Maranello by taking victory in his first drive for Enzo. Mansell is very proud of the fact that he was the last driver signed on personally by Enzo, and which is true. 1996, Albert Park, Melbourne. Jacques Villeneuve makes a dramatic Grand Prix debut by qualifying on pole position and went on to finish second in the race behind teammate Damon Hill. We stay in Albert Park for 2005 Australian Grand Prix. In his first drive for Renault as teammate to Machismo, our favourite Fisico, also known as Giancarlo Fisichella, wins the Australian Grand Prix. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Fisichella and you are listening F1 Weekly. 2006 Bahrain Grand Prix. Keke's kid Nico Rosberg makes his debut with Williams and sets the fastest lap of the race. Very impressive. And of course, Keke Rosberg won the 1982 championship uh, with the same team. And we go back to Albert Park for 2009. Some are blinded by signs. In 2009, the competition was blinded by a double diffuser. The one-trick pony for Braun GP did the job for JB as he took his long-awaited and much-deserved world championship. 
There you have it, sir. A look at some surprise uh, races um, to start the season and the results. Do you think we will have a surprise in Bahrain next Sunday? I would love to have a surprise, but I'm afraid there's not going to be too many surprises. Un but you never know in Formula One. That's why you got to pay attention. But, uh, you know, we got to talk about some of the back markers. Of course, Williams is looking pretty good. I thought Haas did a very, very good job. And to me, Hulkenberg got up to speed faster than Magnussen. You know, you never know. Some Sometimes you could have that ugly woman show up, lady bad luck, and that happens. You know, uh, Hulkenberg getting up to speed did not surprise me. He's a professional driver. His junior career is as impressive as... Um, Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc. Uh, somehow things went wrong for him. He never got into the top team at the right time. Uh, and I expect him, I don't know if he will outperform uh, his teammate, Mr. Magnussen, uh, totally. But I have a feeling since he has, he's far more matured as a race car driver than Kevin Magnussen, in my opinion. So I think he will bring more points to the team, to Gene and Gunther, than uh, K-Mag. But I do expect fireworks between these two because no driver wants to be beaten by his teammates. So I'm waiting for that. And as far as Alpha Tauri is concerned, you know, like you said at the top of the show, rumors are flying that the team will be sold. You know, now with the passing of uh, Dietrich Marischitz, the founder of Red Bull, they have a board member and his young son is now the, you know, he inherited the whole thing. And they are even talking about, uh, there was a report that they may move the team from Italy to England to reduce cost. And, you know, Red Bull, apart from Sebastian Vettel and uh, Max Verstappen, I think they have not been uh, satisfied with the young drivers. They have given an opportunity to a lot of talented drivers. And the reason they went with... Uh, Nick DeFries. My impressions of the new 8004 are really positive. Uh, I like the looks and I like the livery, especially the introduction of the red makes it a bit uh, different, a bit more contrast. So I'm liking the colors and in terms of feeling, it's obviously very early days, but uh, we had a good first filming day. My approach in racing hasn't, hasn't significantly changed. Obviously, Formula One is a bit uh, faster, more physical, um, has a bit more attention, but uh, in the basis, I'm still doing what I love and I'm still racing cars. So actually, I don't think that much changes except that everything is a bit more uh, looked at. For me to get the chance in Formula One is obviously a dream that comes through. Um, I've been kind of living towards this moment my whole life and I'm very grateful that everything came together and that I'm on the grid in 23. Now it's time to go racing and to, to perform. The part I'm looking most forward to is to live my dream. Well, what gives me mental and physical uh, confidence is my experience. I've raced in many different championships and also our preparation. We work really hard over the past months and I've been feeling really physically ready and prepared. So, yeah, I think uh, it's time to go racing. They did not have anybody in their arsenal. And I will not be surprised. This is based on rumors last year and information last year. I will not be surprised, especially if McLaren is a slug, that Lando Norris 
leaves uh, McLaren and go to Red Bull. Apparently, at one time, Red Bull were interested in his uh, services, and he has one of the most impressive. I think before getting to Formula One, he took part in six championships, won five of them, all of them, of course, in his debut season. And the only one he did not win was where he was beaten comprehensively by George Russell in Formula Two, which confirms to me that uh, George Russell is the real deal. And, you know, I did ask um, Trevor Carlin, um, Lando Norris uh, drove for him in Jeep Formula 2, and I asked him what happened there, and he said, you know, he because Lando won the opening race of the season, which did not surprise me, which is what I expected. But the rest of the season, the job I expected from him was done by George Russell. But Trevor Carlin said to me that, you know, he probably just thought he was already in Formula 1, so really did not pay much attention. Uh, maybe that was the reason. And uh, McLaren is such a historical name, and uh, I'm disappointed that uh, they are not doing better than what most uh, you know racing fans would want. And we'll have to see how... I. This is my take on the McLaren situation, just a personal observation. If the car was going to be competitive, then I think now and then Piastri, Oscar Piastri, will rattle the cage of Lando Norris because I'm very high on his talent because, of, again, based on his performance. But if the car is not uh, competitive and they are frustrated and they're trying to get up to speed, then I think Lando will have the edge. He's already there. He's already in the system, and he may look like a better driver. Maybe he's a better driver. I don't know. But um, I feel sorry for Oscar Piastri if this car is uh, fighting with uh, Toro Alpha Tori uh, to get in, you know, into the top 18 or whatever. That'll be pretty sad. And a lot of people are positive on Alpine. They're not making a lot of waves, but they're also not running slow times. So we'll have to see how it goes. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It will not take more than three races before Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly have some issues on the track. I totally agree. I totally agree. But going back to McLaren, there's a reason why a talent like Ricciardo could not make that car go fast. And the car obviously does have issues, but I think Norris is so talented that he was able to get the grips with the piece of crap, and Ricciardo could never. But I think McLaren has big issues, and I think some of the board members are going to be sick and tired of that fat American in charge. I think Zach Brown, his days are numbered, let's face it, just like in the NFL, if you don't perform, the head coach gets fired. So Zach Brown is definitely in trouble. McLaren's in trouble, and they're going to lose Norris. And Piastri, you know, he could talk to Fernando about timing and Formula One. A fantastic subject, timing and Formula One. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. So I think what Oscar Piastri should do is take a small uh, model of the Brooklyn Bridge to Fernando Alonso and say, my master, I come seeking knowledge. 
how to take care of crossing this bridge. Do I cross it or do I put it on fire? Uh, yeah, that's we will see how that happens. You know, the interesting thing at uh, McLaren, they brought in this guy, James Key, um, who was the designer, chief designer at Tor Alpha Tori, Toro Rosso, whatever they were called in those days. And it hasn't really worked out. Okay. Now, when they were throwing uh, McLaren under the Renault bus, Mac bus, uh, with Renault, they went nowhere. I mean, you know, I was thinking about the uh, Mercedes uh, car, the problem. You know, when it's like Red Bull. When you have chief designer aerodynamics, Adrian Newey, he does not design everything on the car. Okay. And I'm sure all the concepts are not his. But he is a very experienced, very successful person. So if he has some ideas from people uh, where he might think, you know, this might be a good idea, so they can put together a very nice package, which they have done. And I say this because, you know, when Lewis Hamilton was lucky, those cars were designed by a chap named Aldo Costa. And he used to work previously at Ferrari, and he had success there also. And he's been gone for a couple of years now. So I don't know what the new design structure is, who the chief designer is. And this thing with the uh, zero sideboard concept, I mean, I'm no technical guy, so I'm not going to get into it. But it did not work at all last year. Yeah, they won a race. And it's not a fast car this season. So they'll have to... They need, uh, Toto Wolf needs what you have, a deep dish mirror. It's true. It's true. There's a lot of stubbornness about the W13. And I, I guess maybe they, they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you're right. I mean, when I saw the W14, I'm going, wow, not the big changes that I expected for sure. And there you have it. And I think Lewis Hamilton probably said the exact same thing I said. He probably went, what? What you guys be talking about? You know, he's freaking out. Well, you know, it, re it really goes back to a race in the Halcyon days of Sebastian Vettel winning all the races. He was, Sebastian had won. He was on the podium and David Hobbs made a comment that uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton must be wondering, he's winning all the races I was supposed to win. And, you know, Lewis did for many years. Now uh, it's full circle back, you know. Uh, he has the talent, and so does Machismo, and so does Leclerc. But somebody else, who also has a lot of talent, is doing all the business. So it's so much being in the right place at the right time. And then, you know, as far as luck is concerned, you make your own luck. These teams do provide more than one car. So you cannot say that, oh, just one guy was lucky. It doesn't work that way. But times are very exciting. I'm really looking forward to a great season. I just hope... Um, that we have fights for pole position, we have fights for winning the race. It will be very, very good for the sport. It will be, and we have six sprint races. It's going to be a great season, especially if Fernando has a competitive car, if LCH has a competitive car. So at least they can wave to Max as he goes off into the distance. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, on that note, Nas, I'm afraid that we have to start thinking about how we're going to end this show. So on that note, thanks 
everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks, Performance Motorsports Network. Uh, I like the new car. It looks beautiful, but the most important thing is that it's fast. One of our major goals uh, was to come down with the weight of the car. This we achieved in a very good way, I must say. Then, on the aerodynamic side, we need more downforce, less track. Also here, we made a big step forward. And the design office did also a really good job because uh, the positioning of uh, the different parts uh, much better than in the years uh, before and uh, therefore I think from this point of view the car should be in a really good shape. The goal is that both cars should be in qualifying three and we should score points with both cars. Nick de Vries has a very high natural speed which means he is really a driver who knows how to win races and how to win championships. I think uh, that uh, we will have a successful season with Nick because he's learning fast, he's a good technical understanding and uh, his feedback is uh, really fantastic. If you look to the learning curve of uh, Yuki, he's, he's going upwards and I think that uh, in the meantime he's much more matured, he has a real better technical understanding, a fantastic technical feedback as well. Uh, you can see that from st from running to running, from race to race, from test to test, he learns more and he gets more used to everything. And uh, we will see for sure uh, the best Yuki, if I take into consideration the last two years, uh, in this year in our car. My expectations of the cooperation between the two drivers is quite high. They have to work together outside of the car, on the technical side, with the technical feedback, on the marketing side, on the press side. If they are in the car, they should, of course, fight each other, yeah? because uh, this is what we want to see. And I'm quite sure that they know where is the borderline, where is the limit. I think they are clever enough to know that they are racing for the team, that they have to bring home the best possible result for the team. And this is what I expect from both of them. Thank you. Bye-bye. Attention. Attention. Flint has escaped. Find him. Find him. For some F1 sounds. Uh, see, 